with me this week on the other end, Dr. Ben Lynch, naturopathic doctor who specializes in optimizing your health. Dr. Ben, thanks for coming on. It's good to be here. Hey, thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it. Awesome. What part of the world are you in right now? It looks like, uh, looks pretty green. (laughs) It's very green. So if it's green, it's got to have a lot of rain. So where do you think I am? You in Pacific Northwest? Yep. Oh, nice. What part? Seattle. Oh, North Seattle. Me too. I'm in uh, central Seattle, kind of like downtown. Oh, really? Yeah, Ballard area. Oh, wow. We're neighbors. Yeah. That's hilarious. We should have just gotten together. (laughs) Yeah. Probably should have done this in person. First one. Next time. Yeah, next time. Well, anyway, man, uh, looking over your work beforehand, you got a lot of credentials. Um, I saw you went to Bastyr here and uh, you work with patients now currently. So so set it up. I mean, were you always the health guy or did something kind of change in your journey or how did you get to the work you're doing now? That's a that's a great question and, and one I appreciate a lot because, you know, we all have our stories and and I I've got a little bit of laryngitis now. Uh, change of weather and I'm coaching two soccer teams with kids who don't listen. So, <laughs> um, but uh, I would say I got my start by traveling and uh, my mother uh, was a retired, she's a retired OBGYN. So I grew up with medicine, but uh, I would, and I got my degree at University of Washington, so I'm like biology, but it didn't really hit to me what I really wanted to do. So end of my junior year in college, I took off and I traveled. And it wasn't until I hit India, it was the tail end of my year long trip. And there I got sick. And when I got sick there, I was basically helped along with this natural healing of Ayurvedic medicine. And so I wanted to pursue that. And I, I discovered that Bastyr University was in my backyard and I could learn more about what Ayurvedic was and nutritional biochemistry was. and so I went that route. So I would say that my own curiosity towards what the heck they gave me in Jaipur, India, that reversed my sickest of ailments, uh, went away. So that was how I got started. Okay. And I'm sure, I mean, in the last 10 years, naturopathic medicine has just shot up, especially really in the last five. It used to be kind of like the stigma of the tree hugger hippie doctor but now it's becoming you know you hear about top executives going to nature paths um everyone when you say you go to a nature path it's now just accepted it's not like what what's that i need an explanation i mean it's becoming mainstream so i'm sure you've seen that over the last five ten years even it has it has and 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 thankfully so for all parties involved i mean for for naturopaths definitely but for the patient as well because the patient is seeking the the reason why they're sick. Yeah, they want to, they want to get better, but they also want to understand why they're sick so they can prevent that from happening again. So I think the, the symptom of drive through medicine is what I call it, where you have a headache, you pop a pill or you're sick, you pop a pill. I think they want to understand more of the mechanisms of why they're sick. And I think with the, with the, you know, advent of podcasting and everything else. Now we have those tools at our belt and with, with the internet, we can search and search and search. So, uh, naturopathic medicine, yeah, is growing. I would say holistic medicine in general is growing um, because people are demanding to know why. Education behind it, and I think yeah. when you know why, you feel like <coughs> when you understand something, it makes you want to uh, do it more. 
Like when you understand the inner workings of exercise and nutrition, it motivates you to get in the gym because you know how those exercises are directly affecting you and uh, achieving your goals versus if you're just working with a trainer. Well, when the trainer goes away, you stop working out because, well, I don't understand it. It's like a really empowering thing, I think, when you're able to educate people, uh, which is what I'm hearing from from your end. Yeah. So then describe the people you're working with currently. Is it the everyday kind of person? Is it a specific group of people with um, health issues that you're seeing every day? What's the common patient that comes into your office? Well, I have to say that I have stopped seeing patients currently um, and, and most likely for good because my I've turned towards digging into the research because if you're, if you're seeing patients all the time, then you don't have the, the time to do all the digging. And so I love seeing patients. And when I was seeing patients, it was the medical conundrum. It was, it was the type of patient who did not get better. And I love those types of cases because all you have to do is listen to the patient and they tell you what's wrong um, most of the time. Sometimes it gets a little crazy, but usually listening to their story is where the answer lies. Hmm. Um, so I would say that the most difficult patients was my patient population. And I would say that my true passion though is reducing, well, I would, uh, let me rephrase it to more positive bent. It would be to optimize the lives of unborn children because in naturopathic medicine, our job is to prevent disease really is, is to teach people how to optimize their health and prevent from getting sick and their loved ones. And if you can, if you can optimize the future mother and father with certain recommendations, lifestyle, environment, and so on, then you have the ability to optimize the health of that next generation and the generation again after that, because the gametes that the, that newborn child is going to be carrying. So you're affecting two generations, three generations, if you include the parents, which is pretty cool. So that's yeah. where I'm focusing now. Super long-term view. Yeah. Yeah. So what is categories that fall under epigenetics? Yep. Nailed okay. it. Okay. Yeah. And I, I would say people ask me what I am and you know, I get interviewed sometimes by the media and, and usually it's, it's to bash me and, and they're trying to discredit my work and really, yeah. And so and it's, it's like, cool. Like what, what do they, what do they think is discredit? Well, they, they say that, uh, MTHFR isn't a big deal. And geneticists, if you, if you describe MTGFR to a group of geneticists, they're also going to say it's not a big deal. Mm-hmm. And so the news media interviews geneticists and the geneticists say it's not a big deal. And so the news thinks the geneticists are right because MTGFR is a gene, but I'm a naturopathic physician and any holistic minded physician is going to understand the epigenetic control of a said gene. So our lifestyle, our diets, our environment, our mindset. I mean, Bruce Lipton is, is phenomenal about epigenetics, right? So uh, if we dive into epigenetic control and then you look at MTHFR, you're, you're thinking, oh my God, this is really important. Yeah. But geneticists, they look at this gene causes this problem. You have celiac, it's because of this gene, right? You have hemochromatosis because of this gene. And... But epigeneticists look at, you have this gene, you are more susceptible to this problem. So let's optimize it. 
So that, I think that's where the discreditation comes from because it's not it's not A plus B equals C. Okay. It's multiple factors. Okay. So they're not arguing with the theory of epigenetics, are they, or the science behind it? They're arguing more so of um, like how you're going about it? Yeah, they're arguing how I'm going about it. They're saying there is no there are no double-blind placebo-controlled trials in my recommendations. And I said, that's true, there are not. Um, however, when you look at the research, and the research is linking MTGFR to folate deficiency, MTGFR is linked to cardiovascular disease, it's linked to Parkinson's, it's linked to recurrent miscarriage and tongue tie and depression. And you start looking at mechanisms of why that is, and you start linking things together, and you pull all the data points from the research, and then you look at the biochemical pathways, it only makes sense. I mean, for me to drive to you, uh, you where are you, Ballard, you said? Yeah, Ballard. Yeah, so if I'm gonna drive to Ballard, I have a bunch of different routes to take, right? I can go over the bridge, I can go down and around, I can do a lot of different ways to get over there. But the fact of the matter is I can still get there, and there's no argument, I can still get there. So the research has all these data points, but there's nobody buddy, buddy putting those data points together to make it clinically actionable for doctors. So you always hear sound bites in the media, right? Where yeah. pesticides cause Parkinson's or folate deficiency cause neural tube defects, but it's always way bigger than that. There's also there's way more causative factors than just one singular event. So I do that, but then they're saying, well, you can't do that because there's no double-blind procedural trials. I said, well, who's going to pay for it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so one thing I keep hearing is the acronym that a lot of people haven't heard of. I didn't hear about it until the call and I was researching it and it was super complex and a little intimidating, to be honest. Um, that is MTHFR. Can you kind of, before you get in depth with that, can you kind of break that down, what that is in, in layman's terms for the listener at home? Yeah. So our body, I mean, we're composed of, of many things, but we have about 20 some odd thousand genes in our body. And MTHFR is a big one. It's, it's, it's not bigger in size, it's just big as, as important. And so we all know that we're supposed to be eating our leafy green vegetables, but we don't know why. I mean, maybe we know because they're healthy, but we don't know why they're healthy. Um, so we tend to eat them. But what MTHFR is, it's a, it's a particular gene whose function is to produce a type of folate in our, in our body. And this type of folate is the number one most prevalent form of folate in our circulation. So we always hear about folic acid in the news and yeah. folic acid in rich foods. And that is supposed to help us. But in actuality, in order for folic acid to work, it's got to climb through about seven other genes mm. in order to get to the body's most active form of folate, which is called methylfolate. And MTHFR is that last critical step. And so if you have this, if you have a genetic problem in this gene, your most active form of folate in your body might be lower than the person who doesn't have this gene problem. And what that means is folate is really important because it's basically it's touching your neurotransmitters, your immune system, your DNA control, uh, getting rid of uh, you know, xenobiotics, you know, like arsenic in your, in your system helps make your glutathione, um, it helps make your blood cells, your red, white, and platelets. Uh, so it's, it's super important. And so if, if you're deficient in your 
number one form of folate, then your immune system, your neurological system, your mental health, and your DNA are at risk, right? And so to me, it's pretty damn important. Okay. And so is it as simple as just supplementing with folate? Because I know that's what the people are thinking at home. Oh, I hear folate's the missing link, so I'll just go out and buy a folate supplement and problem solved. No, no, it's not. Because, you know, if, if you were to get up right now and go out your front door, you, you know where the front door is, but there's obstacles in your path. There could be someone jumping out from one other room to push you to the side. There could be a tree falling on your house. You know, there could be somebody just mopped the floor and you slip. So it's the same thing with, with the human body. There are, there's, there is that destination, but there's multiple things in the human biochemistry that can knock you up okay. and, uh, not in terms of pregnancy. <laughs> um, but, uh, I would, I would say that if you do have the MTHFR gene problem, such as myself, what it does is it slows that gene down. So it can't make as much of this active form of folate. So, the first person would would see that and they would say, oh, well, I'll take this supplement. And that was my first thought too. Yeah. Saying, oh, I have this defect. I'll take some more methylfolate. And I took some, I felt good. I was like, wow, I've got a really clarity in my head right now. And to give you an example, I have this, my defect in the MTHFR enzyme slows my enzyme down by 70%. So I have a 30% functioning capacity compared to the normal person. So that's pretty significant slow now. Yeah. However, I don't drink alcohol very much. I, um, I eat my salads and that 30% capacity is typically enough. So if you live a lifestyle where you're drinking alcohol, you're staying up late, you're, you're a student, uh, or maybe you're, you're a triathlete, uh, or you're highly stressed out or you're uh, a growing child, then yeah, you might need more methylfolate, but it's not that simple. There's thyroid hormone controls it, um, you know, and there's, there's other backup routes. The body doesn't, it's, it's inherently intelligent because it doesn't rely on one pathway. Just like I can get to Valor by multiple routes. Right. So, so not, yeah. not to cut you off, but so methylfolate's a gene, correct? No, methylfolate is the end product. It's That's the what end MD product. Makes. Okay. And what's the yeah. gene? The gene is MTHFR. Okay. So gene makes the gene MTHFR yeah. makes the enzyme called MTHFR. Okay. And that enzyme's job is to make methylfolate. Okay. And once but, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. No, okay. So once you have methylfolate, then what happens? That's just what makes you feel good? Right. Yeah. No. So then once you have once your body makes the methylfolate, then it works in tandem with B12, vitamin B12. And these two merge together and it grabs homocysteine and it transforms homocysteine into the body's main methyl donor. Okay. And that main methyl donor is called SAMe, which a lot of people have heard about in the supplement world. Yes. Um, or in the news. And then SAMe goes and does all these things for the immune system and DNA and cell membranes and so on. Um, so it's, I would say that MTHFR is a really key enzyme because it's, it's at the crux of where methylation starts. So if you hear the word methyl, right, that supports methylation. And methylation is simply the action of taking a methyl group, which is a carbon and three hydrogens combined. And when you take that carbon and three hydrogens and you attach it to something, 
it changes the function. <clears throat> so for example, if you take dopamine and you mm -hmm. attach a methyl group to dopamine, it changes to norepinephrine, pretty significant. Yeah. And if you attach a methyl group to arsenic, it helps get rid of it out of your system. So it, it does a lot of things. So is it kind of like antagonist to free radicals, what free radicals are floating around, how dangerous yeah, they are? These yeah. are more like beneficial? I would say that um, heavy metals can cause free radicals. And I, the, the appropriate term would be a, a reactive oxygen species. So a, it's, uh, well, I don't want to get into it, but, but yeah, so in, in, let's just keep it simple. It might be not 100% correct, but yeah. So uh, methylation will help with free radicals and, and move them out and heavy metals will cause the free radicals. So if you remove the heavy metals like arsenic mm -hmm. or mercury, which is also involved with methylation, mm -hmm. then your free radical damage will go down. Okay. So moving back, I heard a lot of things. I heard B12. I heard SAMI uh, with the methyl group. I heard homocysteine and um, the, so the MTHFR, to break this down again before we start talking about why and how to fix it and all that stuff is really important. The MTHFR gene uh, releases the enzyme, um, which needs SAMe to go to homocysteine, right? And no, yeah. no, not quite, not uh, quite. Um, I thought I was getting it. Yeah, no, you you are getting it. You just skipped a couple couple steps. So you yeah. got video on, right? Yeah. Let me hold something up for you. And help me out here because cool. it's gonna be hard for me to see my my screen. Yeah, okay. that's a that's a. For uh, those of you listening, he just held up a uh, all the chemical equations in the world chart. Yeah. In it. <laughs> all right. Oh here man, yeah, I skipped a few steps. Like yeah, so 3,000. you see there on the bottom? Yeah, I do. See the green thing says 5-MT-Jeff? Yeah. yeah, right there. Mm -hmm. Yep. So empty Jafar along mm -hmm. with vitamin B2. So the empty Jafar gene yeah. along with riboflavin makes methylfolate. Okay. <clears throat> and then methylfolate will work with methylcobalamin, which you see there, right? Yes. And then it'll grab homocysteine. Yes. And then it'll go through that enzyme called MTR. Uh-huh. Yeah, I see MTR. And then it'll go and make some methionine. Yep. And then you see SAM. Yes. SAM, it, well, hold on. No, I don't. Uh, so follow the next arrow from methionine over to MAT. Yeah. Oh, there it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's called SAM. And then it, after it donates that carbon and three hydrogens, it becomes homocysteine again. And it goes round and round and round. Okay. Awesome. Okay. I don't know how many times a second, a lot. Yeah. That's a so complex chart. What, what people need to understand is we're all genetically different and we, we all have, we're all humans and we're all homo sapiens, but our genes are slightly different. And then if we're genetically identical twins, I mean, completely identical, then we can have different perceptions, different voices, and different sicknesses. Uh, one can be a night owl, one can be not. One can prefer bitter, one can prefer sweet. Um, one can be an a-hole, one can be sweet. Um, so it, it all depends, and that's the epigenetic control. So just because if you have the MTHFR defect, or if you don't, doesn't mean that that MTHFR enzyme is not working. How would so, you how would you tell if you had an MTHFR defect? 
I would say the fastest way to know if you have the likelihood of having an MTHFR defect would be to look at your family history. So if you have sisters and brothers and grandmas and grandpas and moms and dads and so on, um, and you see a consistent pattern of mental dysfunction like schizophrenia or bipolar yeah. or cardiovascular disorders, uh, heart attacks, uh, you know, blood clotting problems. Um, these things are, are really a big, can, uh, I say a warning shot across the bow that you might have this genetic problem. Also, if you have recurrent miscarriage or recurrent miscarriages trending through your family, um, or you have a child with birth defects, um, or autism, then, or any chronic disease, then MTHFR is, is highly likely hmm. that it's there. It's very common. What, like what, per- <laughs> what percentage or how many people have this yeah. would you estimate? Yeah. Good question. So it depends on the ancestry. So, uh, Italians, Hispanics, and the Chinese have a 40% prevalence of having the MTHFR gene not working by about 70%, uh, reduced capacity. <coughs> so they're, they're really affected negatively by this. However, you say, well, if it's so prevalent, then and then we don't change as fast as bacteria, then obviously that gene has been selected for, right? <coughs> and there are benefits, but we have to, um, and then the Caucasians, to answer your question, mm-hmm. are also pretty pretty high. Um, I would say around 30% uh, significant. Um, the insignificant MTHFR genetic problems are very common, um, but they only slow it down by about 20%, so it's not that big of a deal. Okay. Um, and, yeah, go ahead. And with, with this, so it's common. Many people have it. They probably haven't done a lot of testing or looked in their family history are, are physicians and doctors administering these tests are they pretty aware of this mthfr gene or, or lack thereof and what they could be seeing in their patients like a gp someone goes into they get their checkups they see them would they know about this is this on their radar it is becoming so and it's it's becoming so very quickly um and it was funny i was i was looking at a, a facebook post an old one back in 2011, I think it was my first one about MTHFR. And I said, if you guys don't know about this, you're going to know about it in a few years. This is a big one. And now it's everywhere. Um, but the public health department is in the state of Washington is telling doctors to not test for it. And so if a patient walks into the clinic and asks for an MTHFR genetic test, you know, the doctors are, I don't know what's going on because I'm not in practice right now, but I know that the state of Washington public health department is, is anti Hmm. test. Why is that? Because there's no clear cut action and there's not enough training Mm -hmm. and there is no double blind placebo controlled trials. And because the geneticists say so. Hmm. Um, And it's because also the research is conflicting and the research is conflicting. It's because of epigenetics. So if you do a patient population and you run a genetic trial or a, 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 you know, any type of trial and you don't evaluate the diet, lifestyle, and environment and everything else, then you're going to get different outcomes, obviously. Hmm. Um, so I, I think that that's the problem. It, it will change. 
Um, but it, it takes time. So we can't get these tests anywhere? <laughs> do you have to order them yourself through like Canary Lab or something? Or you how, do, how do you can, get these? You can get it yourself. I mean, in this day and age, I mean, you're, you get access to anything you yeah, want. you can get anything. It's there. Just um, so use a Bitcoin so, and get it. Yeah. What's that? Use a Bitcoin and get it. Yeah. God, that's another world I haven't delved into. Um, but yeah, so you can, doctors will order it. A lot of them, if you, there are certain conditions where they will order it. So if you have elevated homocysteine, that's pretty stubborn. It won't come down. If you have recurrent miscarriage, mm -hmm. um, they probably will order it. Uh, if you are undergoing cancer treatment, um, and you're not responding very well to methotrexate or 5-FU, then they might order it. At least educated ones will. Um, so, but if you're just looking to see if you have it, they probably won't. Okay. Um, and if you do a, a, a blood test for homocysteine and it comes back normal, i.e. less than, I think it's 13 or 15 uh, in, in your blood level, which is very high in my opinion, not very high, but high. Uh, I like it around seven or eight. Um, so if it comes back around 15 or less, uh, the doctors are not going to care. And they're going to say, you don't have any far because your homocysteine isn't 30. Um, so, but you can't order it. There, there are certain labs. There's, there's 23 and me. Yeah. Uh, I've heard of that. Yeah. So they, they do it, but the, you run the risk of freaking yourself out because there's a lot more genes that they test for in there. Um, and then there's, there's, you can order locally for, through your doctor, through, um, I mean, quest diagnostics, uh, spectra cell labs, molecular testing labs, these guys do it too. So, um, it's, it's, it's everywhere now. Okay. And, um, sorry, I was just looking up that 23 and me thing. So with the MTHFR then, let's just say you can't get a test, but you think you have some of the symptoms like your family histories there, parents with mental illness or heart disease or depression even. Um, is there anything you can do in your life now to start treating it without the test? Let's just say you want to blind shot it. You want to start doing some of these things to see if it makes a difference. Where would you start? What would you do? The basics is fundamentals. <clears throat> so you would start with reducing your stress, doing the things that your mom and dad told you to do your whole life and you never did or your grandma and grandpa. Um, you know, you, you start reducing the things that you know are damaging you. Um, because if you only have a certain capacity to produce SAMe through the MTHFR enzyme, right, then you want to reduce the burden. So, for example, if you're drinking alcohol, yeah. then your body has to process that, which then also requires the MTHFR enzyme. So if you remove the alcohol, then the MTHFR enzyme can do things like help support your dopamine levels hmm. or your norepinephrine levels. If you are smoking or drinking unfiltered water that has high arsenic in it, then your MTHFR enzyme has to deal with that and help make the SAMe to get rid of the arsenic and make the glutathione to get rid of that. So, but if you, get, if you drink filtered water, then that MTHFR enzyme can do other things like make cell membranes help make some memories. So it's, it's a, it's a total load thing. So the, so the bad stuff's like poking holes in the boat and it just kind of starts filling up or, or, or to use your example from earlier, the, the bad stuff, like the drinking or the smoking or the unfiltered waters, like those people in the pathway that jump out unexpectedly and it can't complete the loop. 
Yeah. So <clears throat> imagine you you have, um, you know, say the uh, you've got a, a boat and a normal healthy boat <clears throat> has no holes in it and two functioning oars. Okay. And then we'll call that the image of our enzyme. Now you've got somebody who has a 70% reduced capacity. So now that boat, you punch a bunch of holes in it and water's coming in. It's coming in slowly, but it's coming in. And you got a little baler to help you out, but that's it. So you got a bunch of stuff on the beach and you need to survive. And so you have the choice to take the soft drinks, the mattresses, the firewood, the matches, the water filter, the tent, the shelter, right? You have to choose which ones you're going to take because if you take all of it, you're going to sink faster. Okay. So it's the same thing. So if you, if you decide to take the, the soda and all the other crap, then you're burning yourself over time. Right. And your boat's going to sink. Um, or you're just going to be constantly bailing it out. So right. you're not going to be performing. So I would look at it that way. Um, so I, I would say the easiest thing to do is to do the things that you know to do. Um, but I also would say that a lot of people are also overtraining. And I, I think that people, when you say exercise, there's a great book <coughs> called uh, The Metabolic Makeover. It's so funny I'm talking about this and I'm sick. It's so ridiculous. Um, but That's okay. We know yeah. what happens. <laughs> yeah. Um, so there's a book called The Metabolic Makeover. And it's, it's a really good read because it, it teaches you the basic biochemistry of of why you should exercise, but not too much. And if you, if you exercise and you're too fatigued, then why and how you can restore it? Cause I think a lot of people are overtraining now. Yeah. Uh, and that's a problem. So. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So um, going back to more solutions to the MTHFR, obviously it's long-term it's a diet lifestyle change, all the stuff we talk about on this show, every call, um, is there any sort of like fun and sexy things we can do, like taking a supplement or, you know, some sort of hack that we can, um, take and it instantly helps us get back to full capacity on the MTHFR if we're functioning at a lower level? <coughs> yeah. Yeah. So I've got, I got three hacks for you. Number one, avoid folic acid, um, because folic acid has to go through those seven or so different enzymes mm -hmm. in order to make what MTHFR makes, right? Okay. So you can, if you, if you stop taking folic acid, you're freeing up all those other enzymes so they can do other things. So it's reducing the load. So stop eating enriched foods with folic acid and supplementation and energy drinks and whatever else is pervasive. You can have some, absolutely. Uh, it's just everywhere. You can't avoid it. Yeah. Um, is that why so, they say avoid it during pregnancy too? I would say avoid it during pregnancy, but you need to use then the other hack, which is supplements. So, um, and before I get to supplements, so I want people to know that, you know, this enzyme you can support with food. Mm -hmm. So leafy greens is the second hack. It should be the first one actually. Um, so organic homegrown leafy greens, very easy to do year round. Um, yeah, it's very easy to grow leafy greens. Like what kinds? Any kind in particular? Anything that's leafy and green. Spinach, arugula. Yep. Spinach, okay. arugula, kale, chard, main, uh, chard. Yeah, anything. Um, and it's better raw. 
Uh, you can steam it as well. I mean, some of those things, you know, kale and chard are pretty hardcore. Um, so steam them. If you boil it uh, for long term, then the folate levels reduce. Um, and if you think about that, the word folate sounds like foliage, right? So that's yeah. where it comes from. Okay. And so we, before we get to number three, we want the folate, but we don't want folic acid, right? Yes. Two different things. Yes, they're absolutely two different things. Great, great point. Uh, because in natural earth provided, whatever provided uh, food on the planet that comes out of the ground or from the trees, which is also comes out of the ground, um, contains folate. And it contains folate as multiple different types. There's uh, methylfolate, there's folic acid, and a bunch of other ones, but they're natural. Mm-hmm. Folic acid is unnatural. It's man-made. It's synthetic. <coughs> the body really well, um, absorbs it well, yeah. but it's synthetic. And it has issues. Um, it lowers, well, it has issues. I'll click to that. Okay. Okay. And so we got our avoid folic acids, hack one, <coughs> two leafy greens, eat them. And then hack three would be? Supplements. Okay. So, Supplements would be um, methylfolate and folinic acid. Okay. Um, and, uh, and those are pretty pretty common nowadays. So you shouldn't have to dig too hard for that. Do you have a source you like? Well, um, <clears throat> yeah, there's, I have my own supplement company and uh, got them horse. It's okay. They can't complain. Yeah. This stuff's free. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> There's no Fair pressure. I, I don't. I love it when I get angry emails talking about my free podcast isn't good enough. I'm like, dude, it's did free not right. get you? You know, like yeah, yeah. It'd be one thing if you're paying a hundred dollars an episode. <laughs> that's true. That's true. So pressure is yeah. off, Doctor Lynch. Yeah. Thanks, man. Um, so uh, there's a variety of of methylfolate that are that are good. So. Uh, my company is called Seeking Health, mm-hmm. and so SeekingHealth.com provides supplements with methylfolate and folinic acid. We do not use folic acid at all. Um, there's also um, there's uh, pure encapsulations. There's thorn. There's zymogen. Um, you know, there's a lot of there's Life Extension. There's a lot of reputable companies out there. Okay. Uh, so meth- methylfolate <laughs> then is the first one. And then uh, the second one, remind me of what that was. I didn't get it. Folinic acid. Folinic. F-O-L-I-N-I-C. Uh-huh. And the dosing would be specific to the individual or on the package. What What's generally like a, a safe or recommended amount that you would have? For yeah, good, great question. So the, the, the RDA amount for folic acid for normal everyday person is 400 micrograms. So... I would say it's pretty equivalent for methylfolate and folinic acid. And that's how I produce my supplements. So if I have a multivitamin for kids or an adult, I'll have about 400 micrograms, but I'll, I'll make it 50-50. I'll do 50% folinic acid, so 200 micrograms of folinic acid and 200 micrograms of methylfolate. But in a prenatal, the RDA for folic acid is 800 micrograms. So since I know about folic acid biochemistry and I don't like it, 
I remove that and I use 400 of each, folinic and methylfolate. And that, that isn't very common in a prenatal. Uh, I, I believe Zymogen does it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I think Zymogen and Seeking Health are the only ones that do the combination. Okay. And last question before we um, start summarizing, wrapping it up, and I got another thing I want your take on real quick. Uh, so with these two supplements and just with everything you went over, so avoid folic acid, eat your leafy greens, supplement, and then the supplements are the methylfolate and the folinic acid. Is there anything besides folic acid, smoking, drinking, and poor lifestyle habits, like any foods in particular that would detract from everything we're trying to do that would really inhibit this MTHFR gene, like any big red flags, do not do, red X over it? Um, no, but I will say that uh, the population is, their thyroids are pretty trash. <coughs> and, uh, their thyroids are trash because we're under chronic stress. So if you're under chronic stress, it'll it'll start hurting your thyroid, and then you, and then the doctor will check your TSH and say, "Oh, your TSH is fine, even though it's not fine. You're half dead, and you're fatigued, and you're constipated, and you're you're gaining weight, and you're cold all the time, and your hair's falling out, and dry skin, and have no libido, and they still say you're fine because they look at a lab or <laughs> like, no, I'm not fine, doc. Look at me. Um, so if you're, if the doctor checks, checks your thyroid and the, the TSH is normal, they need to also look at your free T4 and your free T3. And they also need to look at antibodies against it. So your anti-TPO and anti-TG. And I, I say that because the MTHFR enzyme is regulated in part by the thyroid hormone. So if your thyroid isn't working very well, mm-hmm. neither is your MTHFR enzyme. And the other one would be riboflavin. So you you may have heard about riboflavin being really important for headaches, right? There's the there's a common recommendation if you have recurrent migraines, then you take 400 milligrams of riboflavin, mm-hmm. and your migraines could really very well go away. Well, riboflavin is the the nutrient to help MTHFR as well. So I would say check your thyroid, make sure you're getting adequate riboflavin. You can go to uh, websites and Google high riboflavin-containing foods um, or supplement. And then I would say the number one thing of all the research I've done, I pulled up that diagram, right, that you looked at. And right. You're like, oh, crap. So I can look at the science, but it really all comes down to one thing. So stress. It comes down to stress. So if you're stressed out, you're, you're, you're in trouble. So do things that are fun, relaxing, find hobbies, do a job that you enjoy. If you don't enjoy it, get a different one. So hang out around people that you really enjoy, do things, you know, so it's all comes down to stress. So modulate, modulate that and you're going to be good to go. Awesome, man. There's no, uh, segue that I could use to ask the next question, but I saw it on your videos and it's something I'm really interested in. We just talked about MTHFR for like 45 minutes, which was awesome. So switching topics a little bit for the last five minutes or so, um, just for my own selfish reasons, I want to talk about a sauna and you had contrast hydrotherapy on there, which is awesome. I'm a huge fan. Love it. Hang out with all these Russian dudes at LA fitness. And we always talk about the sauna. We go to Banya five downtown. You You ever been to Banya five? 
I, I haven't been to Bondi Five, but I've been to um, the one in Linwood. Um, my goodness, Bella Bella Luna, I think. Okay. Yeah, something like that. I think I've heard yeah. of that one too. All right, well, we got we got to go to Banya Five sometime. Uh, sounds good. Sounds sounds like it might benefit right now with all the serious hacking up. But uh, yeah. So okay, contrast hydrotherapy: switching from extreme hot to extreme cold, or just very hot and cold. Um, do you have like three minutes to touch on that real quick? And I, I think it's really important for people at home. Yeah, yeah. There's actually uh, um, on my YouTube channel. There's a there's a video of me in Russia getting out of a sauna. Have you seen that one? Yeah, it's the one I saw. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead and post that for um, and embed it in the show right. notes if you want. It's a pretty good um, one. Yeah, so contrast hydrotherapy, it's <clears throat> the body has blood flow and you have pumping action. You know, you're, you're, well, let's start basics. So you have your heart and your heart pumps and your heart pumps in order to diffuse oxygen everywhere and your immune system and liver nutrients everywhere, right? So, if you, when you do contrast hydrotherapy, say you go on the sauna, your blood vessels dilate because you're hot. So your blood vessels get bigger, allows more blood flow through. So it's delivering more immune support, more nutrients and more oxygen. So then that's great. Now you've got all that extra blood down in there, but once your cells get the nutrients they need, they use the nutrients and they spit out a bunch of waste. So if you go to the store and you buy a bottle of filtered water, you drink all the filtered water. Now you got the bottle left over, right? You need to get rid of it. So now that's what the contrast does. That's what the cold does. If you jump into a ice cold bath or a cold Lake Washington or the freezing Puget Sound, then uh, that what will do is it will constrict the blood vessels and it will pump all that blood up and out back into your heart. And then it will get rid of all that toxic waste garbage that could have been pooling in any part of your body. And so it's a, it's basically contrast hydrotherapy as a pumping action. So it delivers nutrients, immune cells, and oxygen for the hot part and the cold part gets rid of all the waste byproduct. And a lot of us can have waste byproduct because if we're stressed out, we have vasoconstriction in our hands and feet um, and elsewhere of our body. So it really just allows complete nutrient delivery around us and takes out the garbage at the same time. It's fantastic. So I do, I I do a lot of saunas, Mm -hmm. um, about every day, 20 minutes, maybe (coughs) two sessions. I love it. I I can't get enough. It's my past fail mark of, of going to the gym. And if I just sauna, that's fine. That's the workout for the day. But of course I do more. Um, anyway, so I do, I, I do the saunas, but the cold showers or the, the cold portion of that is something I don't do. There's so there's still benefit in the sauna, but what I'm hearing is the real benefit is when you do those both together, like you get rid of the waste. It is, it's, it's both, but you have to keep in mind that if you, if you're in the sauna and if you, if you're in there and you don't feel like you want to get cold, then you probably shouldn't. Uh, Cause it's, it's very taxing. It's a very big caloric, ATP drain. It's a metabolic drain hmm. to tax your system like that. If you're asthmatic, uh, you shouldn't do it either. You can do it, but with warmer water. Don't do it with a sudden cold because it can trigger an asthma attack. Hmm. Um, so FYI. Um, but you will get a greater benefit, absolutely, if you sauna and then follow it up with cold. 
one, you'll stay warmer longer. Um, because if you, if you shock the body with the cold shower or the cold plunge, uh, after your, your initial hot, then you will be cold for a bit, but then it's going to gear your body to increase your temperature back up. So you will feel a lot hotter and you will increase your sweating profusely, which could be beneficial if you're adequately, adequately hydrated and have adequate, um, electrolyte. Um, so I would go ahead and add it, see how you feel. I like to do it three times is my deal. And uh, the cold plunge at Bella Luna, I like a lot. It's very cold usually. Um, and so I'll get in the sauna, but I have to make sure I'm really, really hot and I'm not too taxed. And then uh, I'll get in that cold plunge, I'll jump in and I'll sit there. And I'll sit there for probably a minute until my arms are just like lead. Yeah. And then I'll get up and out. So, Whew, intense stuff, man. Yeah. All right, Dr. Ben. Well, thanks for coming on. That was a fascinating conversation with the MTHFR stuff. We've never had anyone to talk about it and break it down. Um, so really, really important research. It sounds like you're doing. Love to get you back on, talk about some more of these things. Uh, before I let you go, is uh, Seeking Health the best place to find you? Or, or where can people go to find out more about you and what you do? I would say the the best for more information is seekinghealth.org. And seekinghealth.org too, there's a there's an opt-in email box, we don't spam or anything, but there's a there's a like a 90-minute video there that talks about MTHR in detail. And I gave this presentation in London last spring, and the attendees were 200 nutritionists over in the UK, and they gave it a hundred percent approval rating. Um, so I, I spoke at it on a, at a level that was very understandable people and you can really gain a lot you can see diagrams so if you're just hearing this go to signal.org and, and download that video or just watch the video um, and you can see the pathways and then signal.com is the supplement company where you can get things that you need that uh, are pretty high-end stuff awesome dr ben thanks for coming on man yeah thank you